Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. Today we are, we're continuing in Joshua. And I gotta be honest, I love this book. I love it so much that I slammed my head against the desk several times this week working on this message. And if I just start going over the same thing, over the same thing, over the same thing, over the same thing again and again and again and again and again and again, it's because I gave myself a concussion. But it's, we're, we're wrapping up chapter one, and there's, so, there's such truth in God's word all the time, but there's something beautiful about the, the ending of chapter one because God, last week we talked about the now then of God and how we need to get ready and all this stuff. And God says, be strong and courageous. And he says that three times. And this is, this is the, the rounding of that. This is the response of Joshua to the now then of God. So we're going to be looking in Joshua chapter 1, 10 through 18. Let's, let's, let's read it real quick. Joshua then commanded the, officer, the officers of Israel... Go through the camp and tell the people to get their provisions ready. In three days, you will cross the Jordan River and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you. Then Joshua called together the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Don't be getting hungry if I say Reuben. I'm just saying. (laughs) Quit thinking about lunch right now. It's only 10.30. He told them, remember what Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you? So they were in this place before. They were about to go over into the promised land. And if you remember that Moses sent 12 spies into the land, one from each tribe of Israel, to scout out the land, because it's always a good idea to scout out what you're getting into, because even though this land is promised to the Israelites, the, 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 um, the nation of Israel, that doesn't mean there aren't people inhabiting it. It doesn't mean that there's enemies. There's, whenever God promises you, promises you something, there's always going to be the enemy there trying to keep you from taking possession of it. And so they sent out these spies, and as they're sitting there, waiting for the reports to come back. Um, Two of the spies that came back said, yeah, let's do this. We can do it, Joshua and Caleb. The other spies were like, oh my goodness. It's kind of interesting. They let fear dictate what they reported because uh, we've talked about this, but fear always runs to worst case scenario and then it makes you make stuff up. That's what fear does. It makes you make up a false narrative. They said we look like grasshoppers to them in their own eyes. Did they consult one of these giants in the land? Did they ask them, did they say, hey, do we look like a grasshopper to you? Or that's called leading the witness. They probably didn't do that. But did they have a, they're like, what do we look like to you? And the the giants were like, oh, obviously grasshoppers, you know, because of your weird legs and law. No, they were making things up. They were trying to emphasize how small they felt compared to these giant men. Because there were giants in the land. But they were putting words in their mouths. And Joshua and Caleb here, they were like, it doesn't matter what the enemy is, what he says, or how big he is. God said we are taking possession of the land. That's all you need to know. If God said it, it will happen. And and what they were failing to realize is if God said it, then they stand on God's strength and on his victories that he would give them. And because they chose to believe the report of the 10 spies that gave a negative report. They went back in 40 years in the wilderness and a whole generation died until God raised up people that would believe the report. And the only two from the previous generation that got to go in was Joshua and Caleb. And so we're standing here. This is like, this is like deja vu for Joshua. He's, he's standing here looking and he's saying, remember what Moses The servant of the Lord commanded you. The Lord your God has given you a place to rest. He has given you this land, your wives and children. So there's two and a half tribes 
they're gonna settle east of the Jordan River, and the, the nine and a half tribes are gonna settle west of the Jordan River. So there's no conquering necessary for these two and a half tribes to settle their land. They just get it. There's no one living there. So they get to take possession of it ahead of everyone else. Your wives, your children, and livestock may remain here in the land Moses assigned to you on the east side of the Jordan River. But your strong warriors, fully armed, must lead, must lead the other tribes across the Jordan to help them conquer their territory. Stay with them until the Lord gives them rest as he gives you rest, as he has given you rest. And until they too possess the land the Lord your God is giving them, only then may you return and settle here on the east side of the Jordan River in the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, assigned to you. So that seems pretty harsh. Like, well, we got ours. Why can't they just go and do it themselves? Like, these two and a half tribes weren't even the biggest. Like, Judah was the biggest tribe. And, like, they had more than enough people in the nine and a half tribes to take and conquer the land. But it's not about that. It's never been about that. It's always been about what can we do to help. We got ours. We got Jesus. Why would we even tell anyone else? We could put ourselves in that same category. But... We don't get rest until we accomplish what God commanded us to do. And there is there, there's something beautiful about that. We get to help. And in, in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, um, we learn that in, in the conversation Moses had, Joshua just doesn't change it. He just says, okay, this is what Moses said. 70,000 warriors did stay with the women and children. But their strongest and best warriors, 40,000 of their strongest and best warriors led the charge. 40,000 out of these two and a half tribes. That's, that's army in and of itself. And this is their response. Anyone who rebels against your orders and does not obey your words, everything, well, we skipped a little bit. Let's go back one. They answered Joshua, we will do whatever you command us, and we will go wherever you send us. We will obey you just as we obeyed Moses. And may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. And anyone who rebels against your orders and does not obey your words and everything you command will be put to death. So be strong and courageous. I'm going to talk to you today about... Get ready, get set, go. And I want to talk about field, track and field for a second. Because that directly relates to Joshua and what's going on here. There's a ready, there's a set, and then there's a go in this. And I think it's important for us. And I, I'm not trying to, to re- rehash what we went over last week. But Joshua tells the commanders to tell the people, get ready their provisions. And we, we had a point last week that it looked just like this. If you recall, it said, get ready. And that's my first point. That was my second point last week, and I'm not going to repeat everything I said. But the Bible says, get ready. And it repeats it twice in one chapter. Last week, he said, you and all the people get ready. And we talked about how we can get ready. How, how, how can we get ready? We can pray. It's, it's, it's staring into the Bible. It's, 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 it's studying. It's devotion. It's, it's this necessity to know Jesus, to be like Jesus, to, to walk like Jesus. Now he's saying, get ready your provisions. Now, it's kind of interesting because what provisions do they need to conquer? Well, they need food. They need armor. They need they, they, they need armies, they need swords, they need weaponry, they need all this stuff. Well, if you recall, these people walked out of Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. They didn't have any of it. So on their way out, after the Lord performed these plagues upon the nation, they, they just gave them gold, they gave them livestock, they gave them all this stuff. And while they were in the wilderness, they fought battles. There were people that they had to fight in the wilderness. And there's a famous battle where Joshua is battling these people, but Moses is overlooking the battle, and his brother Aaron and this other dude, um, her, 
I know it's weird. Um, but they're up there. And the Lord told Moses, as long as your arms are up, you're going to win. When your arms fall, you're going to lose. So what happened was Moses stood there. I don't know if you guys have ever done it, but you stand with your arm up for a while. You're going to start noticing muscles that you didn't even know were in your body. Just, stand, just, just do this. Do this. And just leave it up for a while. How, how long is it going to take? One time I was at a general council, and um, you guys don't have to, you guys don't have to leave it up. I mean, like, you guys are like, oh, the, good, Charlie horses were coming. Um, one time I was at a general council, and it was weird. I was, I was there with my youth group. It was down in Orlando, and Carrie Joel was leading worship, and it was just this, um, and then this pa- pastor from, um, Latin America was there. He has a huge church, like 100,000, and it was awesome. The presence of God was so heavy, and the Lord just told me, I want you to lift both your hands. So I was like, both hands went straight up. And, uh, and so I started to feel the burn, and I started to take him down. And he's like, I didn't tell you to take your hand. And like, this is just going on in the back of my head. So I'm not, I'm not crazy. I do hear voices, but it just felt like the Holy Spirit said, I want you to leave him up. And so I left my arms up for like 40 minutes during this. My arms were on fire. I mean, like I could not feel my fingers. Like they hurt so bad. And, and finally I felt like you can put them down. I'm like, okay. And every, I mean, everyone was standing. Everyone was worshiping. It was an awesome time. I wasn't just crazy sitting in my seat with both arms up, you know. Um, it was, but... I just remember thinking, God, why would you have me do that? My arms, my back is cramping. It's so bad. And it was just such a practical thing. He said, I want you to know what it feels like to worship through pain. And I thought, ooh, that's good. <laughs> um, next time you could just tell me that. Uh, but Moses had to leave his arms up. And as long as his arms were up, they started to win. But when his arms started to fall, they started to lose. Aaron and her there on the mountain with Moses would grab his arms and they would brace him and they would hold his arms up so they could win the battle. And it was a supernatural victory. These are the provisions. Because of the victories like that, that God provided the victory, he provided the provisions for their promise. They could not take possession of the land. They could not take possession of their promise without the provisions of God that he provided them. So I I think this is so encouraging when God tells you to get ready, when God tells us to get ready, when God tells us to get our provisions ready. Maybe he's saying, maybe you need to start giving to missions. You didn't ever fill out a faith promise. I want you to start. Or maybe I want you to start giving to the building fund or or to pay Whatever it is, if the Lord says, I just want you to buy your neighbor's groceries. It doesn't have to be related to the church. But if he says, I just want you to give your neighbor or, or, or give them a gift card to Walmart to help with their groceries every week until I tell you to stop. Whatever it looks like, do it. Do it. Get your provisions ready. Like one of the, the one of the healthiest signs of a church is, is when we are able to give God our pocketbook, our provisions. Because at the end of the day, our provisions isn't the amount of money in our account. It's God who rules all things and who is over all things. He is our provider. And so he provided for them the provisions that they could get ready so they could take. Possession of the land. He provided the provisions for the promise. I think that's an amazing thing. We have this opportunity that God gives us provisions. It's so interesting because he doesn't need anything from us. He doesn't need anything from us. And yet, like for instance, Amy and I, during our our missions emphasis at the end of October, or um, begin, beginning of November, we increased our missions giving. And every month, every single month, the Lord has provided just, so, just randomly. This person would say, hey, I just really feel like I need to give you 100 bucks. 
I'm like, sweet, missions. Like, I just, need to, I just need to give you 50 bucks. Sweet, missions. Like, the Lord has provided for us to meet that every single time. Because we said, okay, God, we're going to give this to you. And we're going to trust in faith that you're going to provide the means to do it. And we, we just been, every month, November it happened, December it happened, January's happened. Like, it's just, it's, it's insane. But God says, get ready your provisions. And he's just saying, get, give them to me. If we live life like this, number one, you're going to lose everything you got. Because blessings from God is not like gripping this microphone. I could, tie, I could put a tight grip on this microphone, probably past what it should. And, um, but I, but it's, it's hard. But, but pro, blessings from God is more like sand. It's, you can hold a lot of it in your hand if you cup it, but as soon as you start squeezing it, you lose it. Because when God blesses you, it's never for you. It's always for how he can bless others through you. And when he blesses others through you, he blesses you with something better. It's, it's this, this God cycle of giving. And you get blessed to be blessed so God can bless you to be blessed. Uh, so you could be a blessing. Like it, there, there's this cycle. And God says, get your provisions ready. He's saying, I'm going to use your provisions to give you the promise. But you have to be willing to give God your provisions. And it's just this beautiful thing. Get ready. In the terms of track and field, which I, I told you that I was going to talk about track and field, another part about getting Ready means you are where you need to be. So get ready. The children, the children of Israel would not have received the command to get ready if they weren't ready to go across. Does that make sense? If they weren't next to the Jordan River, they wouldn't have got the command to get ready. If they were on the backside of the wilderness 10 years before this, they wouldn't have got the command. They had to be where they needed to be. Now, I, I've, I've never been a track and field athlete, per se. I wouldn't claim to be. I have ran track and field, and I don't have any accolades. Um, I have a few races under my belt, which I did not win. I mean, like, I've probably finished a good seventh or eighth, but there's probably, like, at least nine in my, <laughs> in my class. So, I mean, I was not like a, a track. I, I used all other athleticism in my life to help me, even tennis, I used it to help me play basketball better. So I only did it to stay in shape. But there was one thing. They never gave the command, get ready, when the runners weren't at the starting line. They didn't. Get ready was the command they gave when the runners were already in place. They were where they needed to be to launch this race. And... The question is, today, I believe God is saying to us, get ready. How do we get ready? I asked that last week, and I, I, I skirted around it a little bit. But one of the main ways that Christians get ready in their life spiritually for what God wants to do in them is through fasting and prayer. And this is a beautiful exercise and what we're going to do as a church for 21 days from the 1st of February, like, okay, let's, let's just make an exception real quick. The Super Bowl's in February. I have full intention of eating Super Bowl food. So, like, we're just going to make an exception for that one night. But I'm dead serious. So I don't want you guys judging me about well, pastors on a fast and he's eating like a pig. Well, I'm making it right now, Okay. But we're going to do 21 days of fasting and prayer in February. And what we're going to do, similarly to last time, we're going to give you guys a few things to pray for for the church. And then you guys, every single person in here has things they need to pray for. That they need to reach God. They need heaven to move in. And guess what? It happens through fasting and prayer. I'm not going to tell you how to fast. Um, sometimes, maybe one of these days, we will We'll, we'll, we'll all do a Daniel fast or something, but I think you know what you need to give up. 
you know what you need to fast for 21 days. The Lord's probably already started laying something on your heart before I even mentioned it. There's probably some of you that have been rumbling around in the back of your head like, man, I need to do something. This is it. This is it. And there's something about fasting that moves heaven. There is a time in the Bible where the disciples had this, this dad bring his son to him, and, and they're like, hey, can you heal my son? And they're like, yeah, yeah. We've done this before. Stand back and watch this. And nothing happened. And grant you, they have. This is after the, the Lord sent them out by twos, and they cast out demons, they healed the sick, and everything like that. So they, they did do this before, but nothing happened. And Jesus walks up. And the dad's like, so uh, your disciples are awful. Um, I don't know what you've been teaching them, but uh, they couldn't do this. And Jesus turned and looked at him. His disciples, he didn't call the man or anyone else. He turned and looked at his disciples and he said, you wicked and perverse generation. He calls them out. He's like, how long will I be with you? Like, he just calls them out and then he turns and he heals the boy. And then later, after they were licking their wounds, they walked up to Jesus, and they said, Jesus, how come you were able to do that, and we weren't? And Jesus said, this, this comes only by prayer and fasting. And I've been thinking about that a lot, because really what happens is he calls, he calls them the opposite of what he calls them to. He says, you wicked and perverse generation. Wicked means you're disconnected from God. Perverse means you're connected to the world. Fasting disconnects you from the world, and prayer connects you to God. So when we call you and call us to fast, when we say get ready, like one of the things I want the church to pray for is life groups. We're launching life groups in February. We need to fast these things in prayer. We need to coat them. When you feel like you prayed for your life group enough, pray for them some more. Because the thing is, there are people in this town that are going to come to know Jesus through C1 life groups. And we need to pray that. We need to receive that. We need to declare that. And so um, we got to get disconnected from the world and we got to get connected to God. That's how we get ready. If we, if we truly say we want, like, if Jesus, when Jesus taught us to pray, he said, he said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we truly want that, that means we truly want people to come to know Jesus. That means we, we, we are willing to discomfort ourselves. We are willing to say, God, whatever it takes to get people into the kingdom, we're willing to fast. We're willing to do whatever it takes. That's the will of God, that none perish, but all come into a place of repentance. So we got to get ready. This is a practical, this is a practical way of getting ready, fasting and prayer. There are things in your life, there are loved ones in your life that you need to pray for their salvation. There are financial needs that God's going to move in. And just in February, you're going to see a break. It's going to happen. Let's get ready together. Let's get our provisions ready. Maybe the Lord's dealing with you on different things. Let's get ready. He tells the children of Israel, get your provisions ready. Give it to God. Because God wants to give you something better. They could have kept their provisions in the wilderness, but they would have never got their promise. The second part of getting ready. So in track and field, you, you line up at your starting spot. I, I ran the 400 meter, so I didn't have starting blocks. And starting blocks are what, what track and field people get down. And if I tear my pants, you guys are obligated to laugh. Um, so I don't have my Superman underwear on. Don't worry. Uh, so you get down and you, you lock your legs into the blocks. And then you get tense. I ran the 400 meters. So me getting ready was like this. Getting, getting ready the best I could. But then they would say, get set. Get set, not settled. 
And Joshua, he doesn't necessarily say get set, but he says something to them. He said, you guys don't get to take possession and your rest until everyone else gets it. Because here's the the thing. The enemy of getting set is getting settled. If he would have let these men go in with their families and get settled in their land, guess what? When you're settled, when you're comfortable, like Sky knows, the best time to play with me is right when I walk through the door before I sit down. My daughter. Because if I sit down on the recliner, she's like, Daddy, please play. I'm like, I just want to sit down. Like, you, get, we get settled like, ah. Oh. But, but man, if I, if I round the corner... And I'm, I'm still up. And she goes, Dad, you want to play hide and seek? Of course I want to play hide and seek. Because, I mean, I, I'm ready to go. And Joshua understood this. Moses understood this. That if he lets these men go to their homes and get settled, then they're not going to fulfill their purpose. They're not going to fulfill their promise. And they're going to rob themselves of a blessing. And so he says, you guys have got to come with me. 40,000 of your strongest warriors fully armed, fully armored, are coming. And they're not only coming, they're going to lead the way. They're the tip of the spear, so to speak. Get set. And, you know, the difference between get ready and get set is very, it's almost not noticeable to the eye. Because when I ran the 400 meter, which is one track, or one lap around the track, which is a quarter mile, it's a dead sprint as fast as you can run. Like you run that with the uh, ferocity that you would run the 100 meter. And it's awful, it's sweaty, it's nasty, and I would never recommend anyone doing it. I don't know why I did it. Um, the Olympic runners, man, they can knock it out in like 40-something seconds. The fastest I was ever able to run it was like 58 seconds, which is under a minute to me was good. But I would get, like, I would get ready, and I would look like this. And they would say, get set. And I would look like this. But there's a difference between getting ready. Ready is I'm in the right spot. I'm in my lane. Because the, the reality in the 400 meter, you can't, le- you can't leave your lane. If you, if you leave your lane, you get disqualified from the race. So I had to watch where my feet were going. I had to make sure I stayed in my lane. They had numbers on it periodically which didn't matter to me. I was from Arkansas, so numbers meant nothing. I'm sorry. I can't help it. I can't help it. Ah, but, and then they would say, get set. The difference was my muscles would get tense. I would, like, I would just have this energy ready to explode at any moment because they're about to use the air horn or the starting gun, whatever they use, but I would just have this, this tenseness to launch and, like, you, you, don't, you can't hold that set for long. You can't have your muscles tense for long. Even, even when it came to basketball, when it came to jumping, like, there's, there's a difference between settled and set in basketball. Because I could jump like this, which is great, or I could get set. I could take and get a gather and launch. And, and, and there's a difference he says, get set, not settle. Don't settle in your land. You don't get to settle in your land. And the reason why is because there's still others who haven't got their promise. This is us, guys. This is us. We got this promise from God, this promise of salvation through Jesus Christ. But it's easy to get settled in our faith and not help people around us that don't even know they need Jesus, that don't even know they're lost. There are people that have heard the story of Jesus but have no, have no relationship. There are people in our families, people in our homes, people in our workplace that need a relationship with Jesus. And it's, this is not just like they need it while they're here on earth. This is a need for eternity. We all know this. I'm, I'm, like most of us know this. I'm pre- if you don't know this, well, I'm telling you right now, Jesus Christ is the only person that can separate your eternity from eternal damnation to eternal heaven, eternal life. But 
They can't hear if we don't go, if we are settled, if we're good with just coming in on Sunday morning and just sitting in a pew or, or just living our life, listening to our whoever we listen to and go about our business, then we're not set. We're settled. We can't launch into our purpose. These warriors had a purpose, and it was to help other people get their promise. The purpose of the church is never to be settled. It's to help other people get their promise. God has salvation for all mankind. For God so loved the world. He's not willing that any perish. There's all these statements of all included. God is about people knowing his son because he wants relationship. But what's the enemy of that is when we get settled in our faith. We have got to be set Another word, and I know this is really mind-blowing, guys. I'm telling you. I looked, up the, I looked up the meaning of ready, set, go, and guess what it meant? The beginning of a race. I know. Mind-blowing. So I took it a step further. I'm like, I'm going to look up the meaning of set. You're not going to trump me. And um, it means to place. It, needs, it literally means to plant, to place firmly or to plant. Or to plant. I think this is such a beautiful way to look at it. It's almost a contradiction. Get planted and going is a contradiction. Ready, the, the term ready, set, go is a contradiction. But we are called to live in this contradiction. We have got to be planted. What do we, what do we get planted? What do we get set in? We get set in doctrine, in the Word of God. Good doctrine will always lead to good Bible study habits. It always does. We need to, we need to know the Scripture. We need to know what it says. We, and by doctrine, I mean let's study the Word. Let's, let's get it in us. Let's, let's just be more than a verse a day people. I mean, if you're doing that, that's great. Let's take it up to two verses a day. But let's push ourselves. Let's not get settled. If, if the only word you're reading is off a calendar that you peel off every day, well, let's push ourselves. Let's not get settled. Let's get planted in, in Jesus Christ. Let's get planted in his word. Let's get planted in prayer. Let's get planted. Paul says it this way in um, Colossians. He says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, and now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him. So you get planted in him and let your lives be built upon him. This all, you see the contradiction? Well, what, what, which is it? Do, you, do we go down in or do we build upon? It's both. The deeper you get into Jesus, the more he's going to lift you up, the more, the more your life, the more he can use you, the more that we can be built upon him. Like, you don't just build a, a skyscraper without having so many stories below a foundation. Like, some, like did you know that a telephone pole is a third of its height sunk into the ground? It's crazy. But you have to go down in order to get up. You have to go down into Christ in order to be built up upon him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught. The, the, the characteristic of letting our lives be planted in Christ and built upon Christ is a growing faith. So if you're constantly having trouble believing God will come through in your life, you might want to look where your roots are planted. And I'm not talking about the roots on your head. I'm talking about where are you planted? Because if you're having a hard time built, just trusting God with simple things, with, 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 with faith, I mean, sometimes there are things that test our faith, but the result of a life that's rooted and built upon him, then your faith will grow. This is a prerequisite for growing faith that is strong in the truth you were taught. 
Suddenly, we're not blown back and forth with every wave of doctrine or everything like that. James, Jesus' little brother, says that a person who is like that, that's blown back and forth with everything they're taught, everything they read, everything, they're, they're, like, they're, they're like a wind, they're, they're like a wave in the shore, in the sea, and they can expect to receive nothing from God. They're double-minded. But when you know God, when you know his characteristics, he's faithful, he's good, he's our provider, he's our healer, when you know who he is, that means when storms rage, when things come at you, you're planted. And you know, you might bend, but you won't break. You might get pushed, but you won't fall over. One of the things in basketball is when you get low, this is a ready set stance. And you get low and you play defense like this. But the reason why you get wide and get low is because when you get hit, you don't fall over. It's easy to push me over when I'm like this. My. Like the other day, I was standing up and Sky ran up behind me and pushed me. And she like weighs like, I don't know, 200 pounds less than me, more than 200 pounds less than me. She about knocked me over. Grant you, she ran with her fist out. Like it was a perfect Superman pose, but um, she about knocked me over. But like she, like if I get down and do this, Amy can't even push me over. Uh, it's, it's, it's funny for her to try. It's really... Um, Sky's like, Mommy, you're just not that strong. <laughs> it's, it's funny. Um, and then you will overflow with thankfulness. I, I think it's interesting that the result of getting planted in Jesus and his word into prayer and all this stuff is thankfulness. Our faith grows and we're thankful. The will of God is that we we're thankful in all circumstances. That's what Paul teaches. This is an overflow of a life based in Christ. If you're having a hard time being thankful for what you're going through, then let's check your roots. Let's check what you're, what you're building upon. Because our faith will grow strong and you will. This is the overflow. This is the result. This is, this is what it leads to. So, we get ready. We're going to pray and fast. We're going to disconnect from the world. We're going to connect to God. We're going to get ready. We're going to get set. We're going to get planted. And another thing, when we are set and planted in Christ, we start seeing what he sees. When you take on the characteristic of God, you start noticing what he notices. You start seeing what he sees. You're not oblivious to the hurt around you. You're not oblivious to the pain around you. There's a, uh, there's a clip I'm going to show you of a race in Thailand. These runners, they're, they're runners at a professional level. They are running a very long race. Um, I want to say it's like a 5K, which that doesn't seem like a big deal. Like everyone, everyone and their mom runs 5Ks now. Um, even even um, everyone and their grandmas run 5Ks now. I've ran 5Ks, but the difference is they're competing on a track and field. There's a difference. Like Amy just did a 5K uh, in November. Um, it was through the woods of Alabama. It was awesome, and she ran into a cave and everything. But um, it took her a little bit longer to complete her 5K than it did these people because they're running a mile in like under four minutes. I want you to understand, like, this is fast. Like, my dead sprint of 400 meters, which is a quarter mile, is what their average lap is. Like, and that was a sprint for me. These guys are in shape. And there is this dude in this clip, he is literally like 20 feet from the finish line. He's so close to his rest. Like, I got to tell you, I, I, when I would get over the finish line in track and field, because you give it all you have. When you're like, my goal, anytime I was in a race, whether it be a triathlon or whatever, I would always try to beat the person in front of me. And how a... Uh, 
how a 400 meter run went is you were staggered at different spots on the on the on the field. So sometimes people will be in front of you from the start, but they're still running the same distance. So you're actually running against the clock. But I would see them, even though they're ahead of me, however many meters. I'm like, I gotta beat them, and I would try to finish first in every heat. I would give it all. I, and then when as soon as you finish, there's this. <sighs> 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 There's this rest. That's what it is. And you get rest when you get across. The children of Israel here, they're on the edge of the Jordan. Some of them got their land. Some of them don't have their land. Some of them have their rest. Some of them don't have their rest. But what Joshua says is you have to help these get their rest. And what a beautiful depiction of what we're doing. We're the church. We help people find their rest in Jesus. This, there, this guy, this guy falls just feet away from getting his rest. I don't know why. I'm assuming it's probably a cramp because when you run that distance for that long, like when I did the Tough Mudder, which is a 10-mile run with obstacle courses, they would give you these gel packs that, had electrolytes, carbohydrates, all this stuff to keep you going. And in these type of events, they don't get that. So whatever they ate before, their body's burning the whole time at an accelerated rate. And I'm sure you guys have had cramps before, Charlie horses, a.k.a. whatever you want to call them. But when you get one, when your body's depleted of everything it needs to get rid of it, it collapses you. It's one of the worst feelings in the world. It's, it's like if you get one in your leg right up here, you, you, your leg just curls. You can't do anything about it. And it's hard to explain if you've never played athletics and never got one, but, like, it's awful. So this guy runs past him, and he stops short of the finish line. And he turns around and goes back. And picks him up. And then all these other people who are already rested run, grab a hold of him, and carry this dude across the finish line. And what's crazy is it cost this guy time. It cost him placement to go back and help. Because there's something when you run and you cross the finish line, there's either a person there with your number with the stopwatch, and they click it. Or a lot of times they have this electric thing that they put in your shoe or on your bib in your, in, your, in your running, and when you cross the finish line, it just stops your time. He didn't cross yet, so it cost him time, and it cost him placement. Like four or five other people passed them as he's helping someone else. Guys, that's a visual of what we're called to do. There are people all around you falling. There are people all around you hurting, and so often... It's so easy to walk past them and say nothing. You saw all the other people run past. Demon, demon. And there's that one dude in the black. He turned around and was like, I better finish. Good intentions don't count when it comes to eternity. We got to get ready. We got to get set, not settled. We got to be willing to stop. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. It costs Jesus. It costs Jesus. We can't be so focused on what we want that we don't see the people around us when they're hurting. We can't. We got to get set. Part of getting set, getting planted in Jesus. Let's fast and pray. Let's realign our hearts to his, and let's start seeing people the way he sees them. I think that's happening. Life groups is going to help us hone that in, but it's a lifelong process of this. It's not like we're going to ever get there and like, oh, I see people exactly the way Jesus. It's so hard to see people the way Jesus sees them in the midst of American politics or anything else like that, but the reality is Jesus died for people. And we got to get set. We got to get planted in him. And when we're planted in him, we quit caring so much about what's about us. And we start caring for the people around us. It cost us. And then the last thing, 
we got to get going. This is the part of the race that runners live for. Like how you get going, how you launch off out of the start can determine whether you win or not. <laughs> I had a friend, like she, she is a, she actually has like four state championships in Arkansas when I was in high school. She was like probably the most state awarded student I've ever met. She would just win and win. All she did was win. It was crazy. But when she first started in track and field, she was on this relay and they went to hand her. And then like with, with the relay, the baton passing is very important because that's like that's the start. That's the goal for um, for that leg of the race. Well, you have a 20-meter area that you can pass the baton in. You can't pass it before, and you can't pass it after. And you have to take and you have to, like, slap the person in their forearm and drag it down into their hand, and then they have to have a good exchange. And if they don't have a good exchange, then that's going to slow them down. Good, um, the American, the women's American 400-meter relay lost Twice in two Olympics because of a bad baton exchange. They passed it too late one time. They dropped it. That disqualified. And then finally they won gold when they passed it well. But, but the reality is that, that how you start, I've had, like, she took and started running and she just tripped. Like, just ate it. I had a friend that was um, running the 200-meter the hurdles and she got to her first hurdle. She launched so fast. She got to her first hurdle, went over and just ate the track. And it was rough. And, and how you start matters. How you, you launch matters. So you can have a good ready, good set. But your go, like ready and set are really a mind, a mind game. It's, 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 are you ready? I'm, a, I'm the fastest runner. I, my muscles are tense. And you really can't tell the difference. I'm, I'm ready to go. But then when they say go, the go will tell whether you're ready and set. The go will tell if you were putting on a show or pretending. The go. They responded to Joshua. We will do whatever you command us, and we will go wherever you send us. We will obey you just as we obeyed Moses. And may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Anyone who rebels against your orders and does not obey your words, everything you command will be put to death. So be strong and courageous. They were like, let's go. Let's do this. 40,000 men, let's go. This is that 40,000 men that were responding. We're in. We're going. We're like, we don't want to rest until all the other tribes get their rest. We don't want our promise until we see them get their promise. There were, th this, is, this is putting action to the ready set. This is putting action to the ready set. How were they able to do this? How were they able to go? You don't risk your life if you're not bought into the vision. You don't, like, they were so bought in to what Joshua was saying, they're like, we are willing to lay down 40, like all 40,000 of us in order to help other people get their promise from God. They were ready. The same is true for us. You don't risk your money. You don't risk your time. You don't risk awkward conversations if you're not bought in to the vision or to the purpose. Which is interesting because they said, we'll do whatever you command and we'll go wherever you want. We have a command. We have a go. Go and make disciples. Go and preach the gospel. And our go determines whether we're ready and set. One thing about the go is you have to be faced in the right direction. 
before you can launch. That's the ready and set part. But when you get ready, you get set. The team, sometimes I raced against my own teammates. And it wasn't about beating them. Of course, for me it was. I wanted to beat them. I wanted to be faster than them. But it was about getting points for their overall team so we can win the track meet. But we are all in the same direction with the same goal. Let's win. And our challenge is let's get in the same direction, in the same goal, let's win. They heard this command from Joshua, and the vision was everyone gets their land. Everyone gets their promise. Everyone gets what God has for them. Because it's not about any one tribe, it's about the whole. It's not about just your salvation, it's about the salvation of every person that does not know Jesus. It's about the whole. And we have got to get in the same direction, on the same page, with the same mindset. C1 Church, our mission, we don't get to change it around. Our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That is our mission as C1. Let's get all on the same page. Growing relationship, what does that mean? Well, I'm in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and I've known him for a long time. If you've never met Jesus, you need to be in a growing relationship. Growing relationship applies to every single person. That's, that, like, If they don't know Jesus, they need a growing relationship with Jesus. If you know Jesus, you need a growing relationship with Jesus. That's our goal. That's just a rewording of the Great Commission. We don't get to really mess with that. That's what God commanded us to do. How are we going to do it? How are we going to do it? The vision, so to speak, or the strategy of how we're going to get people into a growing relationship, we're going to do four things and no more. We're not doing, we're not called to be Destiny Church. We're not called to be the Baptist Church on a backcountry road. We're not called to do what they do. We're called to be C1 Church. And we're going to do what the Lord's laid on our hearts to do. And we're going to celebrate Jesus. How do we celebrate Jesus? Number one, Sunday mornings. Man, we get to come together and celebrate Jesus collectively as a body. But celebrating Jesus isn't isn't just a Sunday morning thing. That's a a seven-day-a-week, 24-hour thing. Man, when I get up in the morning, I celebrate that Jesus loves me and he's for me and then he's with me and I praise him. But man, there's something special about coming together in this building with the body of Christ, with the church of the living God, and celebrating him corporately. We are going to celebrate Jesus. We're going to celebrate him harder. We're going to be, we're going to be unapologetic about celebrating Jesus in this building. And we're going to celebrate him in this building until we can't fit in this building. And then we're going to figure out where to go from there. But what I'm saying is we're going to celebrate Jesus. And there's something attractive about that. When we celebrate Jesus well, people that don't know Jesus are going to be like, I want some of that. And it's going to, guess what? Accomplish leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If you have a hard time celebrating who Jesus is, then you need to be in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Another way we're going to accomplish getting people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We are going to live and exist in community. We've been talking about life groups. We're launching life groups at the beginning of February. We have a life group training tonight, but life groups is a great way to get in community. Maybe you're nervous, like, I'm kind of shy. Well, life groups is a great way to help you with that. Maybe you're like, I don't know. Life groups is a great way. It's going to be how we do community. Your life groups are going to have potlucks. Your life groups are going to have things. Like your life groups are going to hit that niche for the church. And guess what? That's going to lead to other forms of community. Take someone out to coffee. Go have breakfast with someone. It doesn't have to just be in life groups. Call someone on the phone. Go check, check in on them. Do a hospital visit. Like that's the church being the church. That's community of believers. And it's not that I don't want to do these things. I do want to do them, and I do do them. But we all need to do them. We have got to be about the priesthood of the believers. 
And we got to take the pressure of the gospel off the pulpit and put it back in the pew. We have got to do that. So we're going to get ready. We're going to get set. We're going to get going with community. It's going to be a beautiful thing because guess what? As we develop community, it's going to strengthen our church. It's going to strengthen the body, and it's going to lead to people coming to know Jesus. Because there are people that are going to see, man, what's going on at your, your, your house every week? Like, oh, come on, check it out, man. It's going to be neighbors that, that would never step foot in here until they step foot in your living room. And they're going to come to know Jesus probably in your living room. And then we're going to baptize them right there. And they're going to be all in. We're going to live in community. How else are we going to get going? We're going to share our story. The fourth thing is share your story. Every one of us have a story of how God redeemed you beautifully. And it's amazing. And that story is a story that only you can share. I can't share. I I could tell the story of how you got redeemed. Yeah, I could. But it's not going to have the same impact as if you told your neighbor. Man, and, And the cool thing about sharing your story, the cool thing about it is you don't have to have a theological background. You don't have to know Jesus for, for 35 years or 40 years or whatever. You don't have to have read the Bible back and forth this, today and all that stuff. Like, all you have to do is testify what he did for you. Like, we call it witnessing, correct? Is that, that's a good churchy term, like witness for Jesus, hallelujah. And um, we call it that, but the, the truth of what a witness is a witness, when, when legal standing, let's just say they call forward a witness in a trial. What does that person do? They testify about what they saw and what they heard. That's all witnessing is for God. We overcomplicate it. But I can tell you, man, I was lost in my sin. I was going down a bad path, whatever it looks like for you. And you testify what God did for you. People can't dispute that truth. They can't. You can't dispute someone's testimony. It's, you can't change someone's testimony. It's their testimony. And guess what? Revelations tell us we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our... We want to change the world? We got to share our story, our beautiful stories. I can't share your story. I can share my story. I can share the the stories of the Bible with you and get us pumped. But man, when we go, share your story. Your story might lead to someone giving their heart to Jesus when they see how God transformed your life. That goes back. We share our story to help people go into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And the fourth way we're going to accomplish it is we're going to make a difference. How do we make a difference? Number one, Everyone, every person in this room is talented. Every person, some are more talented than others, but I mean, every one of you are probably more talented than me at pretty much everything. So um, I can't even grow a good beard. So, I mean, it is what it is. Um, every one of us are talented. Let's make a difference with our, our gifts and our abilities. Maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I've just been coming to this church for a really long time. Well, come talk to me because the reality is we should be serving one another. We should be volunteering here at this church. We should, be, we, we should have a rotation in every area of ministry. So long, the, the rule was 20% of the people did 80% of the work, but in recent studies, it shows that it's more like 10% of the people do 90% of the work and, and just the vitality of the organization of the church. And that shouldn't be. Because all of us have talents, and, and you, don't, you don't outage your ability to serve. There's, there's not an end cap on serving. We can serve in the local church. Every one of us are capable of putting on a smile and going, man, we are so glad you're with us today. We love you. Every one of us, well, maybe not every one of us are capable of that. But God, if you keep going after Jesus, you'll get to that point. I mean, like... Like, God could change a stony heart into a flesh. And, he could change a stony face into a smiley face. Um, sometimes it takes time to soak in the joy of the Lord. 
It's kind of like getting rid of uh, burnt potatoes in the bottom of a pan. You just got to let it soak for a while. I was not planning on using that illustration. And nor am I planning. I, yeah, let's just move on. Uh, but every one of us, we're capable of passing out communion. We're capable of volunteering. Like, Maybe you're like, I don't know where I even need to volunteer. That is a great question. Come talk to me. Come talk to Pastor Ben. Let's talk about it. Let's see where your interest Because guess what? See one church as leadership, as pastor, I do not want to place you somewhere where you would hate. I want you to wake up and say, yes, I get to serve the church today. I can't wait to run in there. I can't wait to do whatever. I want you to have a joy in serving. I've seen people just volunteer where there's a need, but they're not called for that need. And then suddenly they're like, I have to go change a diaper or I have to go, I have to, you know, I have to smile and be nice to people. I have to. Guess what? If you're grumpy, I don't want you at the front door. I mean, just let's just get real for a second. Um, But I do want you serving. I do want you serving. Let's find your niche and let's find something where you can find joy in serving the body because there's a blessing tied up in serving. There was a blessing tied up in their their going. There's a blessing tied up in it. These men said, we will obey and we will go. This is the direction of C1 Church. This is what we are doing. This is how we are going to accomplish reaching people. And we got to be on the same page and move forward. And I believe we are. And I can't wait to see what God does. But it all starts with us getting ready, getting set, and get going. And get going. So we're going to celebrate Jesus, live in community, share our story, and make a difference. And as we do those four things... People, you and me, as I do those things and you do those things, guess what? Our relationship with Jesus is going to grow. We're going to grow. We're going to get rooted deeper into him, and we're going to grow upon him. And then guess what? Our faith will strengthen. Suddenly, we're going to be praying for things that if we prayed for him today, we're like, I don't know if God can do that. I know he made everything. But here, as we start doing that, we're going to be like, Man, I can't wait to see when God does this and things that we're scared to pray now. We're going to be praying those things fearlessly as we celebrate Jesus, live in community, share our story, make a difference. And suddenly we're going to be overflowing with gratitude. I always, <laughs> I always got told that I have a resting, angry face. I've been working on that. I try to smile more. But I have the facial expressions of Darth Vader. So, um, like, but God, God can make us overflow with gratefulness. I know I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying that. But when you, sometimes I, in worship, I, I listen. I listen to worship. I listen to the word. I listen to different things. But sometimes I can't help but smile. When you, when you know what God did for us. You can't help it. And Ben, if you, if you would. So today, as we get ready, as we get set, not settled, and we get going, I think that there are people here today that maybe need to, need to take and just ask the Lord to help them get unsettled. You don't do something until you get unsettled. You have to get unsettled about something to act. For instance, I'm just going to be raw for a moment. Can I be raw? I already am, so let's go for it. Uh, my kids have a toy room at home. And we, we pick up our, our living room and Sky's room, our bedroom, about every day. At the end of the night, we just try to make everything and what we normally do is, like, go put it in your toy room. Well, what a four-year-old hears, what I mean is this is very interesting. What I mean and what they hear are two different things. When I say go put it in your toy room, I mean go put it away. 
What she hears is, I'm in the toy room. And she walks away. So we open the toy room door, and I was like, a World War II minesweeper would be scared right now to walk through this room. Um, they would not enjoy this at all. They would probably say, let's go back to Germany with this mindset. <laughs> um, so we got unsettled about my daughter's cleaning ability. And this happened like, like I don't understand. A four-year-old has an innate ability. It was clean Wednesday. I want you to understand this. By Friday, it was unsettling. Like, it was, un- it was just, and so we actually went and got trash bags and walked in there and started throwing paper away. Like, we, we found, somehow, it moved with us from Sedalia, but it was a magazine with pretty pictures. I'm like, God, please, don't let my daughter be a hoarder. Um, and we, we threw away and picked up, but we were unsettled by it. And it caused us to act. Some of us today need to be unsettled. Not, not, like we need to have peace. We need to be unsettled. What, what area of our life is keeping us from being available for God? What area of our life is, is stopping us from being able to, to, to get set? Where are we relaxed in our relationship with God at? Because if we're not moving towards God, we are moving away from him. That's just the reality. We, we can't stand still in a relationship with God. We have to pursue him. But the beautiful thing is about going after God, James tells us if we seek God, then he comes after us. He meets us in the middle. He meets us in the middle every single time. So maybe some of us need to pray, Lord, help me be unsettled. Where where have I settled in my relationship with you? Where have I prioritized things over you? Where have I been comfortable? Some of us need to pray, Lord, help me get set. Help me get ready. I'm I'm not ready. I'm not even where I need to be. The cool thing is God's really good at positioning us right where he wants us. And if we ask him, Lord, help me be ready, he'll put us right where he wants us to be. Some of us need to say, okay, God, I need to be about to go. So open my eyes to where I can go. Open my ears to where I can go. Open my eyes how I can celebrate you more. Open my my eyes how I can live in community better. Open my eyes how I can can share my story more often. Open open my eyes to to how, how I can make a difference here at C1 and serve. Open my eyes, God. And he will.